Hey, my name is Tyler McGirt, and I'm here with my co-hosts Uriah Crawford and Hector Calderon, and we are excited to talk to you this episode about the law. We're going to continue that discussion a little bit, and then we're going to give you some answers about how we live the Christian life and how we walk by the Spirit. So we're excited you're with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You are listening to the Gospel Perspective Podcast, a media ministry focusing on the new covenant and the message of the grace of God through faith in Jesus plus nothing. You can find more of our resources on thegospelperspective.com. Thanks for listening. I remember uh, in college, being on the dock, I don't know if it was, I think it was a stove that I was carrying across the dock. And, you know, they used to push us, you know, how many, how many skids can you move at, you know, per hour? So I'd be like going around corners, you know, on two wheels with the forklift and stuff. And I remember I was carrying, I want to say it was an oven and I slammed into something so hard with that oven on my forks. I mean, you just hear glass, just, I mean, just, just shattering. And my supervisor, he walks up, he's like, dude, I wrap it up, put it in the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Hey. <laughs> it was it was wild. What dock did you work at, or where did you work at? Uh, I think I think this was Estes over oh, okay. in uh, LaSalle. Okay, yeah. I worked at R and L, and I remember okay. in the winter. Oh my word, uh, that used to get so cold. You know, the concrete floor used to um, freeze, so it was hard getting you know driving no a, a forklift. Yeah, yeah. And we still really? had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Did OSHA ever visit? Oh, man. O- <laughs> it was too not. cold for OSHA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had Mickey Mouse boots. These boots that are like, you know, the what the, the paratroopers wear or whatever. I would that like on. Oh, know. man. They were awesome, man. <laughs> I was. Everybody else be con- complaining they can't feel their feet. I'm like, I'm good, man. I look like an idiot, but I'm good. <laughs> I want to start, you know, if we're talking about the law, I do want to make a disclaimer here. I do want to start off with saying that we do not believe that the law is bad. You know, we don't believe in no law, you know, because that is something that somebody might say, oh, you guys are just against law. No, the law is perfect. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The problem with the law is not the law itself. Yes, we see God's holiness in it and we see God's character. Yes. But the problem with the law is that you and I are not able to perform it, to keep it, do it, or any of, the, of those things. So that, that's the problem with the law. And that's what the Bible says. So the law in it by itself, it, it's, it's perfect. It is. So we're not trying to say that, you know, find fault with, with the law. The fault that there is with the law, according to the Bible, was us, you know, uh, you and I, that we aren't, we're not able to do it. When you combine the law with flesh, you get sin. If you put that into like a mathematic equation, you see law plus flesh equals sin. And there's something that even those of us who are saved, we still have. We didn't lose the flesh when we got saved. Now, it's not us. It's not who we are. Tyler McGirt is not the flesh, but we still have flesh. Really, flesh would more or less be like those old mindsets, those old ways of thinking, the worldly, uh, sensual ways of getting our needs met instead of looking to Christ. In Romans 8, 3, it actually lays out this concept perfectly in like literally one verse. It says that the law couldn't do something, but the reason it couldn't do it 
was because it was weak through the flesh. Our worldly, sensual ways of thinking, when combined with the law, the law was weak. It had no power to overcome it. It had no power to cure that fleshliness. So what you're saying, Tyler, what you said, you know, because that, that was big. So you're saying that the law does not help me with my battle with the flesh. It incites sin in my flesh. Is that what you're saying? And do you have scripture for that? Romans 5.20 makes it pretty clear. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The purpose was to make sin increase, to become so painfully obvious that it was clear to everybody that this is a problem. And it doesn't say just to expose sin. There's some people that would say, oh, the law was just to expose sin. It, it didn't cause more sin. It just exposed it. The Bible says that the offense abounded because of the law. When, when someone says, you know, hey, don't look at the billboard, your first reaction is, which one? It, and, and even if, you know, you're like, oh, okay, there's a reason why they're saying don't look at it. So the next time you pass, you're, you're wondering, I wonder why they said don't look at it. Maybe you still don't look. But the next time you pass, I wonder why they said don't, don't look at it. Eventually, you're going to look at it because someone just said don't do it. Same thing with, you know, it, from the very beginning, the, the, fruit, uh, the fruit that Adam and Eve were not supposed to partake of. Why? Why can't we have it? Why? Uh, you know, the, the TikTok, can I pet that dog? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's yeah, the answer is no, but he still wants to pet the dog. It, it doesn't matter, like, what we're not allowed to do. We just want to do it. Don't eat oranges. Why? Why, why can't I eat oranges? It, I, I want an orange. The, the immediate response when we're told we're not allowed to do something is go do it. But that's crazy because we would think that the law would help us with sin not cause sin to abound, you know? I mean, that's, I think that's a very important point because I, I used to believe and I used to think my solution to my sin or my flesh was more law. I had to memorize more law and I have to practice more law and I have to put into practice the principles of the law, you know? And I was dependent upon the law of God and the word of God and to help me with my sin. But yeah, the Bible is clear and it's clear in Romans 7 too, specifically starting with, with uh, verse 5 on down. And it talks about the law and sin and how the law incites sin. Yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's crazy. That, that was in a moment for me when I, when I realized that, that what's so bad about the law? Because, you know, you know I, would, I, would, I would talk to people and I still talk to people. And, and I talked about how, you know, we're not, we're not supposed to rely on the law. You know, we're supposed to rely on Jesus Christ. And, and they tell me, well, what if I want to practice the law? What's so bad about the law? Well, the Bible actually says it incites sin. And that's just so counterintuitive to the way, to our religious way of thinking. You can't legislate people into doing right. There are guidelines and laws. You know, you think about our man-made laws. They don't work either. You see a speed limit sign that says 55. And what do you want to do, right? Like, you, you want to go 65. I know I do. I don't want to go 55. I saw this one picture, right? This meme one time, and it was uh, this sign that said, do not shoot your guns in this area. And what did that sign have through it? Bullet holes. <laughs> <laughs> this is human nature. This is how we operate. Like, our minds are operating in this fashion. Like, do not look at that woman to lust after her, okay? In order to implement that principle, what do I have to do? I almost have to look at the woman. I have to realize that she's there, and I'm not supposed to look at her. And the moment that I say, I can't look at that, 
there's something about the fleshly mind that says, let me look, because that would make it even more fun. Because we're thinking about it. You know, it, it, it's it's in our mind. And the more we put rules and regulations in front of it to not do something, the more we're thinking about it. And, you know, the solution is the gospel, of course, and we'll get into the solution here. What do we live by then, if not the law? But, you know, the, the solution is taking your mind off of that. And what better thing to take your mind off sin than Jesus himself? The, the question often becomes, okay, well, if I'm not following law, wh- what do I do? And it's, you know, if I'm not doing these things, and what am I supposed to do? And it's not a it's not a matter of doing because Christ already did all that was required. the The difference is the focus. Instead of focusing on what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do, because the truth is, you know, probably nine out of ten people can't even quote the Ten Commandments, and if they can, they will realize that they're not even following the ten. They're not even following the nine. Um, the the difference is now it's it's focusing on Christ. It's it's not do I look at the billboard or do do I not? It's no Christ is right in front of me and uh, I'm following after Christ. I'm on the highway. I'm looking at Christ and Christ is leading my life and Christ is in me and and it's it becomes all about Christ. So it's it's not a it's it's not a lesson on these are things how these are these are ways to avoid sin or these are uh, ways to have more character or these are ways to you know make you a better person it's it just becomes all about Christ Christ lived he died for my sin and he is alive again and that's what makes me alive in him the focus is Christ there is something that Christianity today in America obsesses over and it is sin And what they magnify and what they glorify is not necessarily Jesus as it is as much as you should not do this, fill in the blank. You should go do this, fill in the blank. And and really what you're what you're doing, what they are doing is they are they are lifting up sin, they're lifting up and and maybe they don't know that they're doing it, right? But but when we preach against sin obsessively. What you're, what you're really doing is saying, go do more of it. Exactly. You're inciting sin. That's why, I mean, it's not, it doesn't come to a surprise to me that the, the strongest preachers, and I'm, gonna, I'm thinking specifically of a sin, I'm, I'm thinking about immorality. The strongest preachers that say the most, you know, um, edgy stuff, you know, against sexual immorality, you know, are the ones that at the end of the day end up you know, committing that, that sin. I mean, that has been my experience in, in what I've seen, you know, in, in, in pastors that stand hard and firm against, you know, uh, certain sins, they end up committing those sins. And, uh, you know, so it makes sense what the Bible says. And even if it didn't make sense, the Bible is true and the law incites sin. No wonder the Bible calls the law administration of death. You know, Romans 7, 7, you know, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. I hadn't known sin except for for the law. He goes on to say, sin took occasion by that commandment. And it was sin in me that worked by the law. And I love, and and really like if if you're checking this concept out and you're trying to figure this out, Romans 7 is a great chapter. And one thing that Romans 7 actually summarizes for us in one verse that would help you in, in a tremendous way is Romans uh, 7, 8. At the very end, it says, for without the law, sin was dead. So apart from the law, 
sin is dead. But if you put me underneath the law, more sin. It's important to read all those verses or to know, you know, in context, not just read one, because I heard an argument this week that's saying, oh, you see, the, we wouldn't have known sin if it was without the law. So they turned that around and they said, okay, so the purpose of the law is so that we can know sin, so we can know what's right and wrong and do it, you know? But that's not what the passage is saying, you know? <laughs> so your conclusion is, is wrong, you know, because you're taking a verse out of context or taking words out of context. And if you put it in, in, into, into context, like you just did, Tyler, you know, it's like we were dead, you know, um, under, you know, under the law, you know, it causes, it produces death, you know, it causes, it incites more sin. Yeah. And the way to get the results everybody's looking for is grace. The, the results you're obsessing over by preaching against sin incessantly the results you're looking for doesn't come by that. It comes by grace. And, and that's why Christ is so important. It's not just that our focus is changed. It is that our nature is changed. When Christ died, when we believe in, in Christ, what happens, it's, it's, it's the picture you know, that we're supposed to be recognizing with baptism. It's that just as Christ uh, lived, so did we. But when we sin, we, we die, just like Paul said. Um, when when I sin, I I found to be unto death. Um, it, it slew me. Sin sin kills. Um, but when we when we trust in Christ, when we believe in what Christ did, taking away our sin, it, it's not just that our old nature dies. It is just as He arose, and that part is just as important as the rest. When Christ arose, we become alive again. Also. Um, we have a new nature. We are a new creature. We are different. Um, that, that sin nature is dead. We're, we're now part of the family of God. We're a different person. We have a different desire. Our desire is not to sin. Our desire is to follow Christ. It's just that we're uh, being taught in so many you know, different uh, venues that we still have this old nature that wants to sin and we want to do bad and we want to do wicked and we need all of these guardrails because if it weren't for those guardrails, we would just fall off into the deep end. And that's that's not the case. If you're truly saved, if you have truly trusted in Christ as your Savior, then Christ in you does not desire sin. To say that Christ uh, desires sin, is that's that's a whole nother topic. But But the Christ that lives in you which pretty much everyone that I find teaches that Christ lives in you, does not desire sin. He, he desires the, the things that produce the fruit of the Spirit. He, he desires righteousness. He desires, he, he desires himself. Christ desires himself. Um, I may not be wording that right, but, but in essence, God wants us to follow him. He, he wants our focus to be on him, and that is the biggest difference. When, when, when Christ is not in us, yes, we need all of those barriers, all those guardrails, all that law to try to keep us from sin. But the problem was we could not do so. The children of Israel were not do, able to do so over thousands of years. You see that all throughout the Old Testament, through the, uh, you know, everywhere from Genesis all the, through, through Noah, where, where God floods the earth. You see that through the prophets. You see that um, what we call the major and minor prophets. You, you see that all throughout the Old Testament. And, and that's why there was prophecy made. Something's going to change. I'm going to bring you a new covenant. This is not working. It's, it's not me, God, that's not holding up my end of the bargain. But you, mankind, are not able to keep that. 
you're you're not able to you're you're not able to keep the law. So I'm going to I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to do righteousness. I'm going to be righteousness for you. So like the whole purpose of the law was to to show this is the line. Here's righteousness and here's trespass or here's unrighteousness if you will. And we were supposed to stay in line with the law. But the moment we got out of step, now that's a trespass. We've overstepped. And Christ says, I'm going to remove that. I am righteousness. Believe in me. Follow me. So it's 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 one or the other. We we can't do both. We can't it's like trying to follow well, following the law is saying that Christ's righteousness, which he tells us to follow, is not good enough, that we need law on top of his righteousness. And as Christians, we're simply supposed to follow him. And to cap that off, I mean, what would you guys say about this verse right here? Like, you know, Hebrews 7:18, strong language for the law. I mean, for commandments, right? We're supposed to follow every commandment, every, all God's commandments. You ready? For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. Basically, what it means is it's, it's a legal term, disannulling, right? It means to set aside, to be used no more. It won't be used anymore. And for context sake, here's the next verse. For the law, so it is talking about the law, made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. The context is a new covenant. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So if the law doesn't do it, I mean, what I've heard from, from all of us this morning is, you know, one of the solutions is focus on Christ. Look on Christ for your righteousness. Look on him. And then we're going to look at a powerful tool that we have, you know, um, for, for, for this right now. But I guess another thing that people might say, you know, okay, we gave enough evidence for the law, you know, how we're not supposed to follow the law and why, you know, because it incites sin because the Bible said it because Jesus set it aside, you know, um, it was fulfilled. It was complete. It was done. You know, another thing that people would say, you know, that would help them in their battle against the flesh or, or, or with sin, they would say the word of God. And they would quote, you know, things like, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. They would go to, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I really believe, and, and this is a, a change in, in my thinking as well. When I used to believe, when the Bible said the word of God, I really believed that it was these words or some words written on, on paper. And if I just memorized those words, it would help my mind. And if I just did those words and focus on those words and, and meditate on, on those words, God's word, what we call God's word, I don't think that's what they meant when they were saying God's word back then. But I really believe that that was going to help me and that was going to help my flesh and that was going to help my sin problem. And Jesus himself even made this distinction. He drew a clear line between the written word and who the, what the word actually is. In John 5, 39, he said to the Pharisees, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you may have life. Okay, so we see that the, the, the law or the written code, and even in another place, it says that the letter killeth. The Spirit giveth life. There's another line drawn there between the written word and the living word, and they're not the same. Is that Jesus is the word. John chapter 1. 
In the beginning was the word, capital W. The word is logos. And what logos meant in the beginning when they actually penned that word in the Greek, it meant knowledge or wisdom. In the beginning was all wisdom and knowledge. Follow my logic. And Colossians says that in him is hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who was it talking about? It was talking about Jesus. I think of two things when I think of John 1. Um, you know, in our modern vernacular, if I tell somebody I give them my word, that, that means I give them, you know, my promise. My, my promise is good. And um, so, so in, in this, if I'm using that, and I'm not saying that that's what this means, but if, if I'm using our modern vernacular and, and this, this here is talking about a promise. So in the beginning was a promise and, and the promise was with God and that promise was God. What's amazing about the Bible is is how often it defines itself. Right right there in that same verse it says that the word whether it be promise, whether it's an idea, whether it's Christ, it's pretty obvious because God defines it as himself. He says the word is was God. It's it's not it's I was talking with somebody uh this week and explaining to them it the 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 Bible, you know, I mean when you think about the New Testament, the scriptures are the the writings of the the New Testament, as we call them, they 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 were not around in you know John chapter one. The, the rest of John wasn't even there yet. Um, so so you've you've got all right, either either the word is the Old Testament, which that that goes directly against what the Bible is is teaching. That the Bible it, it's like saying Jesus is equal to the 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 law of Moses, and and that can't be the case. So we we've got like Tyler said logos or a, a thought an idea a a plan if you will uh, so whether you want to use a plan whether you want to use a promise or and of course all those the Bible tells us that it's referring to God it's referring to God Himself God gave Himself He gave Jesus as a as a sacrifice Jesus was there so the when when Scripture mentions that. Uh, in the Greek particular particular word, because I do believe that you know Scripture interprets Scripture. So when it mentions that particular word logos, it, you're saying that it's talking about Jesus. It's not talking about words on paper. It's talking about Jesus. So that would make more sense if you if you so you if you substitute in your thinking every time you see the word logos in the in the in the Bible and you and you substitute it for instead of thinking that it's words written on paper that you have to memorize and hide in your heart. If you substitute that for Jesus, it makes a lot sense in the New Testament or in the Bible. It never refers to the Bible as the Word of God. It refers to the, you know to Scripture. It's, it uses the word Scripture. You know, it says in the scripture, you know, um, that that that's referred to what we call the Bible now. Um, But it makes so much more sense to define the word of God as Jesus. That makes so much sense. Now it makes sense. So instead of the word of God being quick and powerful, Jesus is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. You know, now, you know, you got David in the Old Testament instead of thy word have I hid in my heart. It's like. Jesus have I, that was prophetic. It was a prophetic statement. Jesus have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It totally just changes everything, you know? So now we're not trusting in a book, in, in, in letters, in a book. We're trusting in a person, Jesus. And, it's, and that changes your whole perspective on church, 
on the Bible, on what's being taught, on what's being said, because we worship the Bible. We worship letters on a page, and we think that that's God. We equate that with God, and God himself on this earth said that that is not me. And what we need to do is we need to separate and doctrinally and theologically get our bearings right and discover the fact that a book didn't die for your sins. A book didn't bleed on the cross. A book did not raise from the dead. It was a person. And that person, his name is Jesus, and he has all power and he lives within you. And so, you know, we come to this question, you know, I'd like to hear what you guys have to say about this. The early church, most of the early church in the first century, they could not read. There's, it's well documented that most of the early church couldn't read. How in the world did they have what we would call today in many churches a quote-unquote relationship with God if you can't read? How'd you walk with God? They didn't walk with God. They didn't have the King James Bible, and they didn't have their, their morning prayer time and the morning devotions and... You know, that's what is told to us in churches nowadays. It's told like, okay, this is how you walk with God. You read your Bible and you pray and you'll grow, grow, grow. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that goes so against scripture. That's not how you grow in Christ. Um, it, it, you know, there, it's not, a, it's not a, a book. It's not words on paper. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. You. You have a relationship with Jesus, you know, and okay. Okay. How do you do that? Okay. The gospel provides that you have a relationship to God through Jesus. Why? Because of what he did for you. And there you go with the gospel again, you know, because he loves you, because he has forgiven you, because he has made you holy, righteous, and perfect. Now you ponder on those things. You meditate on those things. You live life according to those things. You see life through the lens of that, you know, and that's walking with Jesus. Moving on to the answer, we see Colossians. There was a mystery that was hid from ages and, and from generations, but now is made manifest to his sanctified ones, to his saints. And what is that mystery Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says in this chapter, Colossians 1, whom we preach and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, perfect, complete, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Wait, so like, what he's saying is the mystery that was hidden was not my works, not my ability to change myself, not my law keeping or keeping rules or keeping guidelines or standards. What works was Christ in me working and it is powerful. It is strong. It makes me moral. It makes me clean in my behavior because it's already made me clean in my identity. And now that's just working in me and changing my behavior. You know, here's the thing about this. This is the message that most churches don't preach is identity, is who you are in Christ and how that affects your behavior. And we're going to get into that uh, more later on. But but you will be hard pressed to find anybody who actually preaches the message of it is God that works in you both to want to do his pleasure, good pleasure, and to do it. 
See, God does that. It's not my human effort that does that. It's not my trying to keep this law system that changes me as a person. It is Jesus in me working mightily. It goes back to, you know, Jesus is enough. That's all it takes. That's all I need. I don't need rules, regulations. I don't need uh, the Bible. I don't need uh, necessarily, I don't need the law. Christ in me, that great mystery that Colossians talks about. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And we have his spirit inside of us to lead us and guide us and direct us. If we walk after the spirit, we're not under the law. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What if I told you that you don't need anything except Jesus? People say that all the time. But what if we actually meant it? You know, what if we act, what if when we said all you need is the person, like, whoa, 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 you gotta go to church. I saw this one meme, it was awesome. I, I wanted to comment so bad, but I'm just not like that, you know, like I, I do want to, and I'm like, but no, I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna cause something. Cause, you know, when I comment on stuff on social media, it, it starts fights, and, and then I just leave. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna head out. Now that you guys are like scrapping over there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna just leave. But, you know, it, it was this, it was this guy. He was trying to lift a tractor trailer with a pitchfork. He had a pitchfork under a tire and he's trying to lift a tractor trailer. And it said, this is what it looks like when you try to live the Christian life without the fellowship of the church. In 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, I'm not gonna quote it, but all you need for life and godliness was given to you in Jesus. Not the Bible, not church, not um, your rituals or the law. No, it's Jesus. I mean, it's crazy how at the end of every one of these episodes we have done, we come to to that same conclusion, you know, Jesus plus nothing. Christ is enough. You know, we come to that same conclusion every time. And and I think for our behavior modification, as I was saying, I think it is important you know, identity is important. And to believe what God says about us, you know, um, I wrote this down this, this week. It, um, I wrote it down and because I, was, I read in Colossians 3.12 and 1 Peter 2.9, 2, what God calls us and calls us holy and perfect and righteous. And um, I wrote this down. When you start believing you are holy, you start acting holy. But when you try to become holy by acting holy, then you either become a Pharisee or a hypocrite, you know? And that's what Christianity has turned into in 2021. That's why the world looks at us and says, hey, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You know, you guys are a bunch of Pharisees. Because if you do become holy by acting holy, first of all, you can't. So that's why you're a hypocrite. And if you gain some measure of holiness by your self-righteousness, then you're just a Pharisee. You you become prideful and you become self-centered, obsessed on your performance, obsessed on how you can keep the law, obsessed on how you can please God when all that is taken care of. It truly, really is Jesus plus nothing. When we've spoken about it before, but it's where I'm coming from and where I'm going to. If you're following the law, then you're coming from a a a place of I I am a sinner and I need to I need to do these things to be righteous. 
But if you're coming from a place where Christ lives within you, and like Hector says, like the Bible teaches, like Christ has done for us, if you're coming from a place where I am holy, not because of me, not because of my history, not because of what I do, not because of my failures or my successes or achievements or anything, if I'm coming from a place of holiness because Christ lives within me, well, well, that's a very different thing. I don't have to try to achieve it. Christ already did. I am holy because of him. I read something this week, and I'm pretty sure all three of you guys did, um, that just blew my socks off. The deconstruction happening right now. And if you go on TikTok, it doesn't matter what social media platform, just, just look up deconstructing Christianity. And you will see that there are not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, there are millions of people that are now deconstructing their faith and they're documenting this online. And they are telling people why they are leaving their churches, why they are leaving. And most of it is, you want to know, really, I mean, down to the root, the core of the issue is they're not turning from Jesus. They are turning from from the error of the locations, the buildings, the gatherings of people that don't focus on Jesus. They're deconstructing. It's They're not deconstructing grace, God's grace. They're not deconstructing their faith in God's grace. What they're deconstructing is a culture that, that cultivated hypocrisy and, and a law-based way of living. That's the problem. That is what we have done. And we've, we've worshipped men. We've worshipped pastors. We've looked at one guy on a stage for so long that we forgot it's not about that guy. It's about Jesus. And I come from a culture where, and I'm not, I'm not totally against the, the person on the platform. I think that that's fine. You know, he needs to be put into the proper perspective. We do not worship a man. I don't worship a man. And I'll be honest with you. I used to. I used to. I used to. I used to sit in the pew and think, man, I want to be just like him. And now I sit in my chair right now and I look to Jesus within and say, I'm just like you. You can't beat that. (laughs) No man, no hero, no man, no celebrity, no nothing can beat that. You know, one of my great, one of my fears is, I mean, not my fears. I mean, I'm not responsible for this, but I do, what I do see in this deconstruction, as you called it, and you know, I know it's a hashtag and I know it's big on social media, that in people in deconstructing their religion and their churches and their ideas about you know, religion and church and God. Um, I'm afraid that some are, might just, and I do see this, just throw it all away, you know, and walk away from everything entirely, entirely. And I think that's where the gospel perspective comes in and says like, okay, um, your preacher doesn't, did not represent Christ how he should have. Your religion is not, it has nothing to do with the gospel. Your, what you were taught your abuse or your your mishandling of a situation or, you know, you were hurt or, you know, you realize, you know, that's nonsense or that's a cult. Okay, that has nothing to do with Jesus, the gospel, and let us help you or let us show you or, you know, what Jesus is all about. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He's made you perfect. He's made you righteous. And he's given you your spirit, his spirit. 
He is in living inside of you and he wants a relationship with you. He loves you. It's no strings attached. Jesus plus nothing. That, my friend, is the gospel perspective.